Hi, everyone. Today, me and Tete de Punk are going to be talking about Joel and Malka and their relationship in the Book of Joel, which is coming out at 50,000 Inc. on Tapas. Links are in the description. So, Tete, you were one of the first people I've told about, besides Hellevorn, told, you know, I told you about Joel and Malka as a couple. I still remember the first time we talked about it, I didn't even know that Malka was going to be a character because as we saw in the prologue in the book of Joel, she just appears as a nameless presence, you can say. So what are your first impressions of her? And what do you think of her relationship with Joel based on what I have told you so far? Hey there, everybody. Really glad to be here and really glad to be talking about Joel and Malka. I think you guys are going to like them. Well, anyway, first impression. So upon when you were first forming Malka, I didn't know what to make of her at first. I thought, mm, was it going to be a fleeting character that, you know, just like a sort of a one page cameo or was there going to be something of a greater substance? And it wasn't until we were just seeing more and more of her that she had a lot of, you know, clarity qualities, clear sighted qualities, I should say that were kind of evocative of Katya. And, you know, I was suddenly on the yes boat, you know, because, well, I think everyone knows of my favorable bias for Katya, but biases aside, I was interested how different um, Malka was. And in, in the respect that she makes assessments where Katya does not. Malka is very clear-minded about what she wants to do, what she thinks of something. And she tends to take not so much life by the reins, but it's like if she sees an opportunity, she will go with it. Meanwhile, I think Katya tries to make her own opportunities and she's just more uncertain, which is why she's more, not fatalistic, but you know, she sort of lets, how do I say, she sort of, she, how do I say, she doesn't take the initiative of action. She lets the actions determine her reaction while Malka on the other hand is different. Malka determines her actions. So that way she has the results she's looking for. That's a really great way to put it. Yes. I think in many ways, Katya and Malka do have a lot in common, but as you've laid it out, they do have a lot of things that are different as well. And I think their approaches to a lot of different things in their lives are quite different. Definitely, definitely so. Um, I would say, it, especially how they approach, you know, their relationships and things like that, how they approach their family bonds and ties. So it's in this respect that um, there is there is a decided difference between these two, and it makes it fascinating. Um, and I, I think it makes for interesting dynamics. You know, for example, you know, we see the dynamic between Katya. And Sam, or as we're, you know, seeing more and more of um, Katya and my character Andre, and folks will have more news on that. Um, so we see how that dynamic is, it builds up. But now we're seeing this different dynamic go with um, Malka and Joel. And it's creating a very fascinating, subtle, slow burn, if you will. It's a gradual developing kind of relationship which isn't to say that you know Katya doesn't but I think with Katya there's there's more of a, a boldness going forward especially when Katya she takes the lead where Malka does take the lead but it's one of those things where 
she does one move and she expects someone to make the other move. Well, I think Katya just sort of guides the flow. So I think there's a different rhythm, if you will, to um, the development of the relationship. Very true. I think that's the case as well. I think Malka is a little bit scared to move forward as you saw in that story I wrote about um, her thinking about Joel, which is going to be on Patreon in, in April. So you guys who are Patreons who are at the second tier and upwards, so anyone who's paying more than $1, $1 per work, you guys are going to be able to read this story. Oh, sorry. Actually, this story is actually open to all patrons. Sorry, I mixed up with another one. So this one's going to be open to all patrons. And it's going to be about Malka thinking about her family and Joel and her own feelings for Joel, which are still burgeoning at this stage. And the story is called Longings. And Tete and Helleborn have already read it. Definitely. We have, it's, it's wonderful, wonderful, poignant, beautiful solid stuff people if if you value good literature and you'd like to read a beautiful story about a fantastic character and you know the sort of you know sort of uh relatability that one can share with this character and also just a fantastic girl or girl all around i do highly suggest uh subscribing to patreon you know getting that higher level access and and being able to read the story mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah, I mixed it up with other stuff that I released for, you know, only Patreons who are like $2 and up. And those are the Frankie and Sam stories. And one of one story that I wrote this year in January about Joel kind of just thinking about himself. And there's a slight erotic scene at the end. And I think it kind of parallels something that happens in Malka's story. Definitely. It definitely does. And it's quite a surprising development, but not overly surprising because... Malka has more confidence um, in this area. Do you think she has more confidence than Joel? I would have to say so. I mean, Joel's is more of an an anger, like he wants to prove something, like it's sort of a validation point. But I think with Malka, it's just sort of an ease of expression, similar to Katya. But I think Katya is more of a more of a curiosity and a place. Yes, I would say so too. I think Katya is also more playful, maybe. Yes, I would I would definitely say she's more playful. Um, you know, she has sort of a to her it's it's more like she wants to find happiness in what she does. While Malka, on the other hand, I think wants to find out truth and security, I think. I think those are very good observations. And I think maybe Malka also wants something that's more solid, but where I think Katya, she is not necessarily looking for something solid. I think she's more open to anything that comes. I do agree. I think you're right. I think it's more like about how different their end goals are. Mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah. This is why I guess Katya is okay with being with Sam, even though I think Sam is not someone who is, quote, solid. I mean, he doesn't know what is going to happen like he has no end goal you know he's not like oh yeah we're going to get married or anything like he's not sure and she's okay with this uncertainty yeah i think katya is okay with uncertainty i think it's because she's very certain of herself and people who are certain of themselves can be certain of uncertainty so to speak and Malk, on the other hand while she is certain of herself to a degree i think she's uncertain of herself in many respects 
And this is why she wants to create a secure goal for her future. So, you know, there's like this goal that she has to meet in order to get this threshold of security and happiness that she's looking for. That's true. I think another thing is that growing up, her father was a very bad example, especially with his philandering and stuff like that. So I guess this is why she's wary of people who don't want to commit, you know, like Sam. I mean, this is one of the reasons, I guess, why she doesn't feel attracted to him. That's true. She doesn't. And I don't, I don't, I could never really imagine Amalka and Sam pairing. (laughs) Um, Me neither. Amalka. Yeah, an odd group name, Smolka, but um, no, I could not. Also, I think their personalities are far too polarized. You know, Sam is kind of jaunty, outgoing on the surface. Malka always has this wonderful, quiet firmness about it. But, you know, she's also, like I said, firm, but she's also willing to correct and, and voice her opinion. While Katya, on the other hand, doesn't. I think Katya kind of bids her time before she makes an, an opinion and she she likes to see the reactions of others before she makes a statement that's very true that's definitely the case for Katya I think she is slow to judge and sometimes I think she might even think her her opinion doesn't matter not because she thinks lowly of herself but because she doesn't really believe in expressing her opinion unless it's absolutely necessary that's true that's true. And I think this is why she works well with um, Sam and, and also with Aunt Andre, because I think both of those men appreciate, you know, that kind of discretion used by Katya. Um, meanwhile, I think Malka, Malka, because of like all the different disappointments she's had in life and, you know, just sort of seeing the dysfunctional disintegration of the family, if you will, you know, plus battling a lot of insecurity I think um, both financially, socially, emotionally, psychologically, um, I think this is what prompts her to be more judgmental, um, more, you know, firm in assessing people to make sure that, you know, it's like 100% or not, you know, you know, ride or die, you know. That's true. And as covered in longings, this is one of the reasons why she feels so insecure about her own feelings for Joel, because even though she does like him to some degree, she also questions why she does, because, you know, not only does he not fit the standards of what her friends would consider acceptable, unfortunately, because some of her friends are very judgmental people who are, quote, upward climbers. So they want, you know, kind of someone who acts more, you know, more refined, I guess, someone who they know isn't socially awkward, because even though Joel's no longer socially awkward, they knew him for for a very long time. So they knew him when he was socially awkward. That makes sense. That makes sense. So Malka, I think, is more pressured by conventions, because the conventions often promise security. True. But I mean, I think she feels bad about it and she questions it. So she she gets over it. She doesn't care that, you know, her friends think it's weird that she wouldn't like Joel. I think she has to get to know him better. And this is what pushes her to get get to know him better so she can make a better evaluation. Definitely. And it's nice to see this growth, you know, that she doesn't want to be dictated by conventions And she wants to make her own assessment, not what other people tell her, oh, this is what it is. No, she wants to say, 
I want to see what it is and then I can judge for for what it is what it is to me mm-hmm, exactly and Katya as one of her friends is the least judgmental one so I guess this is why she's drawn to her because unlike her other friends she never judges her for anything and is open to all you know open to a lot of different ideas definitely definitely props to Katya for her non-judgmentalness and you know it's nice that Malka has found a solid friend like this and that they can build this sort of trust you know based on that you know I, I guess which begs the question we know what Malka you know gar- you know receives from Katya in their friendship what do you think Katya receives from Malka in the friendship Katya is a very curious person so I think she really likes the knowledge that Malka has ac- accumulated about different people in the neighborhood not really because they're gossips, but because Malka has a sharp ear and she also knows Dr. Glickman as a family friend. So she kind of knows, you know, a lot of the troubles that people in the neighborhood have. And I guess sometimes she and Katya talk about it, not in a mean way to gossip about anyone or anything, but mostly as a point of curiosity and also as a guide to their own lives and what they want. That's true. And, and you know, many people are quick to say, oh, don't talk about other people. But if you're talking about people to learn from their mistakes and understand your life better, then that's perfectly acceptable. And it's nice to explore that rather than just, you know, going down the usual path of, you know, maybe, you know, just portraying it negatively. Right. It's not like they're backstabbing anyone or anything. I mean, I think they do spend a very long time talking about Joel, Sam, Frankie and all the other people they know so well. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And in in any ways, they're kind of like explorers making a map and a legend for a map. Exactly. Yeah. But the map is not of a physical place, but, you know, kind of like the minds of different people on the Lower East Side. That's true. That's true. It's the minds of the people on the Lower East Side and and also their, their own social, their own social maneuvering, because I think socializing most people may not realize subconsciously it is just a series of strategies and maneuvers exactly yeah Mm -hmm. yeah 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 it's great yeah so this is what they learn from each other and i think since canonically it depends i guess i guess in sam new york and in the book of joel katya is with sam so basically what happens is that i think um, Malka kind of talks to her about it and I guess she kind of learns about what she wants herself because I think Katya is in a relationship with Sam before Malka even approaches Joel and that's very interesting so Malka kind of has sort of an example set before her or at least watching an example play out before her right and it's involving someone who's very close to her so she can ask anything she wants exactly she doesn't feel like an outsider or intrusive and on top of that it it just makes it a nice assessment because hey i know sam you know his friend um katya is my friend so she's watching two friends develop a friendship and then you know this is having her more open to the idea of opening something up with joel because joel is also a friend albeit a, a, a formerly awkward one but a friend nonetheless Mm-hmm. Though he is pretty distant from all of them well except for sam i mean like he's distant from katya and malka he is. He is. Um, he's pretty close with Sam and Frankie, though. That's true. So I guess they can observe him that way. Definitely. 
maybe that makes it a little harder to judge because they're judging him through like a, you know, kind of a, they're, they're judging it as a third party through a second party. True. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yes, what else do you think about their pairing based on what I told you about? I love the fact that Malka has to explore <clears throat> to find out more about Joel, that there's more to Joel that meets the eye, that he has to, you know, really explore to understand the nuances and complexes of his character. And then, of course, maybe overcome some of her biases and judgments in order to accept him, but not enable. I mean, if there is negative or dysfunctional elements that should be removed, we can hope that she'll recognize these and help him overcome it. And perhaps also as well, she may have these elements too that she can't realize, but she needs another person to see that for her, which is what makes you know an interesting dynamic of mutual self-improvement between two people. Mm-hmm. That's a very good idea. Definitely. Definitely. And I think I also like to... Um, there's a beautiful poignancy um, and the physical expression of their love, you know, that it is sort of an exploration and a curiosity, um, which I think is always um, somewhat ignored, you know, when people write this, it's usually focused on, you know, a very insubstantial aspect of it. So it's, it's never about the expression thereof or the curiosity contained therein. Or if it's shown the curiosity, it's often done very, you know, juvenile and horroristic, you know, voyeuristic, rather than, you know, insightful or psychological, which is what you are doing. Thank you so much. I wanted to see more of that because unfortunately, I think in most mainstream media, I guess not as extreme as the Game of Thrones, but I would say most sexual expression or content tends to be, like you said, very ham-fisted or you know mostly done purely for fan service exactly and it's 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 sensationalism um it's done in a very shallow way and you know like i said even if there is curiosity shown it's usually done like i said either very juvenile or or just like you just feel like a voyeur Mm -hmm. for you when you saw you know because I do have some content that's not released yet that I'm working on for a literary journal, which also explores, you know, the physical aspects of them. What did you think of it? Like, do you feel like a voyeur when you see it? I don't. I feel like it's more of a deep, thoughtful exploration of a very private aspect of life and finding the confidence to think about it thereof of that character. I didn't feel like a voyeur at all. Um, usually a voyeur has a removed um, it has a removed sense of immersion when they're watching the story here's the thing they feel like a watcher this story did not make me feel like a watcher it did not make me feel like a second party it made me feel like the first person exploring you know their own you know their own confidence in that field in that aspect Mm-hmm. So it was not voyeuristic. It was a wonderful, thoughtful, you know, very poignant exploration of that private aspect. Thank you. I think that Definitely. was kind of even obvious, even when we were looking at the prologue of 
the book of Joel, you know, when, which was actually created before the concept of Malka came into being. Remember, I was having that conversation with you where I was like, is she going to be a character or is she not going to be? Exactly. I remember that. And I was so thankful you decided to make her a character because I would say she is my favorite female character after Katya and, and, uh, and Ryza. Oh, thank you so much. I'm glad that you like them. Yeah, Ryza is actually, even though I haven't done that much about her publicly, I've read some really great stories that you and Halivorn have have read, you know, such as The Shave and the one that I won the prize for back in February, um, Mephistopheles Tips His Hat. Exactly. That was solid. I mean, go, Ryza, go. Go, you go, you go, Slay Queen. <laughs> Yes, unfortunately, you know, I haven't done anything about her publicly that much other than what you see in Sam New York. But once it is released, I think you guys will really like it. You know, Riza is a woman who is more quiet, I would say more subdued. But, you know, she is someone who is a force to be reckoned with. She's a very strong woman. She is. I mean, this woman is truly a lion. I would not want to mess with her. I mean, this woman's got steel, folks. She's got steel. Exactly. And it's also kind of sad to see how, you know, all these years of living in America and not doing that well, you know, kind of does a number on her and Lev. It does. It does. It's, it's toxic. I mean, not only is it, not only is America a graveyard, the language is, but it's also a graveyard to a lot of love. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I, I, the, the deterioration, well, not deterioration, because they still do love each other. It's not nothing like Doris and the Dean. <laughs> but, but I mean, they do go through some rough bumps, as we see in the shave. We do see that. And, you know, that's kind of like what prompted the Mephistopheles tips his hat. <laughs> yes, yes. So you guys will all see that eventually. And you guys won't be disappointed. It is. These are some of the most compelling stories I've read. And they're a fascinating modern look at just the subtle nuances of relationships and how they deteriorate and how you restore them. Plus the fact we get to see Lev again without that infernal beard. So I'm happy for that. <laughs> One more chapter in Sam New York, which is chapter four, before he grows the beard. I know, I'm scared. I'm like, mm, here goes my bay Lev. <laughs> <laughs> and he's going... To, to become, you know, the, the, you know, the judgmental distant father with the beard. I know, honestly, it's like, as soon as he grew the beard, it, it transformed him. It was like Jekyll and Hyde, you know, <laughs> I'm going to have Sam say that in, in Sam New York, he's going to make that observation. Yes, please do. Cause like, we all know that Sam likes good lit, you know, he's going to compare it to like, you know, Robert Louis Stevenson's Jekyll and Hyde. I think he might even make a play or like some kind of skit where he transforms when he puts on a beard. <laughs> I love it. It's awesome. It's very Sam. It is Sam. Sam um, Sam gets to process his childhood challenges or, or social challenges through skit theater. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. He might even make a skit about the Dean, but he doesn't realize just who the Dean actually is. Oh my gosh! Well, at least not not the way that we not the way we know the dean. 
<laughs> not now. Like before, he was just like some angry antagonist. And I guess this is how Sam really sees him. I mean, even I mean, I don't think there's any realistic circumstance where he he could learn about the dean as a fully fleshed out person and all his flaws. That's true. I don't think anybody can. The dean's so private. <laughs> no one can do it. Was he Blake? I mean, not even not even not even Malka or Katya could conquer him. No, unfortunately, no. But and also the age gap. I mean, why would he be talking about these issues to a woman who's young enough to be his granddaughter? That's true. Why would he? And that would be weird. I mean, and remember, he's not Evsay, so. <laughs> <laughs> true. And it would be creepy, too. It's like, why is this old man suddenly telling me about what happened 50 years ago? And sharing other aspects, you know, um, more stranger aspects too (laughs) (laughs) exactly and then you see him crying at church yeah this it's madness (laughs) oh no especially his emotionalism i think people are going to be creeped up by his emotionalism so it kind of makes sense for the dean to want to appear very stoic because he only knows how to either be extremely emotional almost to like a theatrical way and, or being extremely stoic. That's true. It's kind of, um, it kind of shows the imbalance of that. I think a lot of people in his position or his uh, echelons suffer from. I think so. I think they overcompensate, you know, for the lack of emotion with being overly emotional. And then it becomes unrelatable to most people. It does because there's no middle ground. It's all or nothing. Um, choice of expression is is pretty it drives people away it alienates them and they can't relate to it definitely yes and more back to malcolm and joel i think i have a lot in store for them and i can't wait to dig into them not only with the visual novels and you know the short comics like the one i'm working on you know which is called shimmering summer and it focuses on them kind of like just just hanging around you know just like a nice calm day just kind of being around each other and enjoying each other's presence because I think we need more stories like this you know romance isn't always like oh my god I love you and like going insane right exactly I mean there is that but I mean I like to see it expressed in a more subtle way or just like day-to-day life for sure we need to see more of that in romance I mean not all of it's you know bursting with passion or bravado and you know not all of it's conflict I mean sometimes you just have those days where you're spending a wonderful familiar silence or quietude in the company of someone that you love and trust and you know you guys you know you just find yourself chilling like a new job beat you know on a summer day mm-hmm. yeah yeah I mean there I mean that comic also does have you know I guess you could say quote adult content but it never goes that extreme it's not I hope it doesn't feel exploitative or anything or voyeuristic as you said because I don't that was not my intention and I hope the audience does not feel like that basically I wanted to incorporate a sense of intimacy into that and not just like and also more of a you know slice of life because in real life that sort of stuff does happen in a day-to-day context it's not always like something very dramatic like you know on Game of Thrones for instance exactly exactly and folks tell you guys out there, you probably know this is real. Sometimes in a romantic relationship, sometimes you just find yourself just chilling on the street, 
you know, grabbing a popsicle, going to Starbucks or doing whatever, you know, it's not always romance. You're not always going on the profound road trip. And, you know, I mean, that's, I think that's the strength that lies therein. You know, it's not the great moments of passion that determine the solidarity of a bond, but it's those quiet, you know, minutiae moments or days of those languid hours that pass by between two people that determine the solidarity of their bond. It's, it's a bit like, sort of like, you know, so, sort of the nice profoundness of finished silence, if you will. Mm-hmm, exactly. But then there has to be substance to it. Cause on the other hand, we kind of see the Dean and Doris and they have a lot of silence between them. That's true. But whereas Joel and Malka are chilling like a new Jebes beat and they're, they're happy and they're familiar with each other. The Doris and Dean have about as much excitement as a soggy wet paper bag stuck on a sidewalk. <laughs> and then they try to cover it with religion, right? Exactly. Which is just the, the flimsiest mask you can think of. And that, that holds nothing for them. It's just it's a masquerade to put on before the world. It is indeed. And unfortunately, that's what they decided on. And, you know, as Hellborn really pointed out, one of the problems with the Dean and his wife is that I think they kind of encourage each other to not face reality. <clears throat> they definitely do. I mean, they, do, they encourage each other not to face it. Um, they're, they're actually just mutual enablers. I think that's the scary thing. I mean, on on the surface, they look like they have so much in common, but they're mutual enablers for, you know, each other's escapism because they are engaging in escapism, not the usual type, not like, you know, alcoholism or getting addicted to something, but it's, it's escapism through doing nothing really. Exactly. It's, it's an escapism founded on parts, um, you know, how do I say it? religious distraction and um, apathy. Mm-hmm, exactly. And I think as remarked in my recent Finnish novelettes, the paradise that never was, which is about the Dean, as you have finished reading, yes. the Dean realizes that Joel and Malka have something that he and Doris never experienced. Exactly. He does. He does. And this is what what makes it very poignant. I mean, here's the Dean on the surface. It looks perfect. You know, he's got a good solid marriage. He has a good wife. He's the Dean of a prestigious law school. He's a well-respected figure in his church and society. What more else could a man ask for? Yet he realizes it's nothing but merely an empty showy parade of just bells and whistles, no substance, He's never fully got to enjoy anything and he never has, and he may never will. That's the sad thing about the Dean. And I think he realizes how hollow he is, but he's scared of fully admitting it because he's nearly 70. That's true. He is. And therefore it will be hard for harder, if not impossible for him to change his ways or adapt. And then again, being stuck in this for so long, can he truly ever change even if he decides to? Exactly. Yeah. And another thing I wanted to say was that I think Malka is a very good influence on Joel. Do you think? I believe she is. I believe she is because she encourages Joel 
to fix the little tidbits that are, you know, his, his most glaring flaws. And I think she encourages him to let go of different complexes or overcome them. And I think this what makes Malka a very fascinating force, that she has the power to do this through her listening, her understanding, but also the fact that she has a firm backbone to her, like, no, you know, you should try to change yourself, improve yourself. Mm-hmm, exactly. How about the other way around? What, what kind of effects do you think Joel has on Malka? I think he will teach Malka maybe not let herself be used by so many people because he himself know what it's like to be used. I think he's going to encourage her to be firmer with friends and family and not let them take advantage of her when push comes to shove. And I also think too, that he's going to, he's going to show her that what he wants to do is show someone that he's capable of providing them with security. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You nailed it, especially the end. Exactly. Exactly. That's that's exactly what I got when I read the end. Yeah, right. And I think she wants that because, you know, she always felt like she was the glue holding her family together. And I guess she's very grateful for him and how he's, you know, supporting her in so many different ways. Exactly. Exactly. So there's this, like I said, there's this dynamic that they share. And I this is what makes them an extraordinarily strong couple. Mm-hmm. Unlike the Dean and Doris. The Dean and Doris, they have about as much chemical reaction. Um, I, I've seen baking soda with much more reaction. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think this is a really great development because remember, I was still playing around with the idea, even when I did the prologue for the book of Joel, the idea that you know, this was going to be a really short period in Joel's life. And, you know, he's just going to walk away from this because he's a screw up. He screws up everything in his life. But now I think I'm more confident. And I think that Joel, I think he, he actually is growing a lot with Malka. And I don't think, you know, they're going to be just walking away from each other like the original idea I had. I don't think they will be. I, I'm so glad you, you changed that. I'm so glad that we've seen this development with Malka and Joel and not only her character, you know, forming onto its own, but, you know, having that, that sort of relationship she has with Joel now. Now we can appreciate, you know, yet another relationship unfolding be, beyond our eyes. And hopefully this one will be solid. Mm-hmm. I think it will be in many ways. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I think we will discover so much about these two through this relationship and also learn more about the people around them, you know, as a way of contrast. Exactly. Exactly. It's that's going to having that contrast right there is what makes it all the more rich and varied because sometimes the sense of self is expanded in that way. Mm -hmm. What do you think um, about this couple? Would you like to learn more about? That is actually a very good idea. That actually requires some ruminating. I would have to say, you know, I would say, what do they enjoy doing together besides, you know, physical aspects of things? Um, What do they enjoy? Like, are there any mutual hobbies that they enjoy doing that make their time together very enjoyable? And they kind of realize that, you know, there's, there's, there's obviously some, some chemistry happening between them. Well, do they have anything like that? 
Yes, I think they really like exploring the city, and they also like you know, even though Joel's not very musical, I think they like listening to music. That's true. So are they, are they more of like jazz people, Yiddish people, or are they open to all sorts of music? I think they're open to all sorts of music. Though it's interesting to remark, Joel it may not be musical, but he was exposed to more music. I think in a way, I mean, outside of theater stuff, because Sam listens to music only at the theater, so that's kind of incorporated into it, right? But he doesn't listen to it outside of that. But then Joel, on the other hand, because his dad, when he was working as a peddler, the guy next to him. I think you read that in the story I wrote about the peddler. The guy next to him every day when he set up shop was a person who sold sheet music. Yes, yes, I remember that because um, we were reading, I was hearing um, a story about Joel where he was thinking about sheets of music and, you know, there was this uh, other peddler who sold, well, storekeeper who sold sheets of music. Exactly. So he's actually exposed to music in that way more than Sam is, even though Sam on the surface would appear to be more musical because he's always at the theater. That's true. I think Joel understands the study and theory of it better than Sam. Yeah, I think. But he's he's not like really musical or anything, but I think he's curious about what makes music good. Like, So he kind of reads the stuff over sometimes. I think he does. He's more discerning in music. You know, he may not be tickling the art ivories like Gershwin, but he hasn't understand it. For example, Sam has no idea what makes music good. (laughs) He's not focusing on the music. He's focusing on the lyrics and the performativity aspect of it or the storytelling aspect. That's true. That's true. I mean, this is why Sam, even though he has no musicality whatsoever, this is why he wouldn't like Justin Bieber. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Sam, when you talk to him about music, it's the whole thing. Like he looks at the music video, the people in it, what they're saying, the story, the symbolism. But I think Joel, when you talk to him about music, he doesn't think about the whole thing. He thinks about what makes up the music, you know, the chords, you know, what is it in G minor or something? I don't know. Like he he might actually be less tone deaf than Sam. That's a relief because Sam is woefully tone deaf. Even Andre cringes at that like, ugh, makeup, don't sing. <laughs> yeah, I think Sam is unfortunately quite challenged when it comes to music in that aspect. That's true. How about Malka? How, how was her experience with music? I think she is quite open to music and even likes it, even though she was not given the opportunity to study music, because I think she finds it as a good way of understanding emotions and kind of relieving stress, especially since, you know, there was so much yelling and shouting in her household. That's true. That's true. Music is quite a source of comfort for many people. And I relate to that because there are certain artists and bands out there who you know, despite the cliched saying, saved my life when I was at a younger, vulnerable state. So I'm, I'm grateful to these artists and bands. So I, I understand where she's coming from. Mm-hmm. And they also enjoy reading as well. Well, I mean, Katya also enjoys reading too. So Katya, as we talked about before, she mostly enjoys mythology and stuff like that, you know, stuff with symbolism and a heavy sense of aesthetic. But I think Malka, she really enjoys going to open university lectures. And this is where I think, you know, she kind of bumps into Joel a couple of times. 
because unfortunately her family didn't make enough money to send her to university so she couldn't go so then she only can go to the open ones you know that the dean sometimes has interestingly enough uh, no <laughs> uh. I think she might have attended one of them because the dean did eventually have um, an open symposium about ethics and psychology and her specific interest is in psychology and sociology. That's true. You would have thought the dean would have something fascinating. (laughs) Unfortunately. (laughs) But she thought it was probably boring because the dean, he kind of wasted the topic. It just basically went on and on about the Old Testament. Because that's his interest. Thanks, Dean. You just killed a perfectly potentially good uh, lecture and you had to drown it with ridiculous, you know, madness. Yeah, the problem with him is that, as she notices, with the Dean is that he he actually has the potential to be a good lecturer. But unfortunately, he has a tendency to ramble and go off topic. I think a lot of men in his echelon suffer from that. They do. And he kind of likes the sound of his own voice too much. He does. I think he likes the the kind of wheels, the gear, the gear of wheels in his head turning too much. He likes that. Exactly. And I think she and Joel kind of laugh at it because, you know, she likes to make fun of how Joel kind of likes the Dean as a person, especially since, you know, they always hang out at the museum because they both have an interest in antiquity. But then she personally never really found the Dean an engaging speaker or thinker even. She thinks he's kind of generic. And in reality, he is. I mean, unless we get to intense psychology, but he'll never show that. (laughs) That's true. Like she always feels like his, his lectures are informative, but there's no soul. That's true. I mean, the Dean lacks soul. He's like, man ain't got no soul. (laughs) I think it's a symbolism of the person as a whole, you know, the Dean, he does have a a lot of knowledge. He has, you know, a PhD in ethics and religious studies, but, you know, as a person, he is solely, he is sorely lacking in so many aspects. Just to, just to kind of fret in there, it's kind of a contrast if Andre was trying to give a lecture because Andre would be very impassionate, but he would have no, like, you know, academic, you know, criteria to back it up. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, I think in many ways, I think the Dean and Andre are complete opposites, right? They are complete opposites. I mean, almost like clinical opposites, aren't they? They are, definitely. Yeah. yeah. I, How I don't much- think they'll ever get along. No, I mean, they even, wouldn't. No, they won't. They can't, you know. As you said yourself, the dean and I mean, sir Andre really does not like the dean. He finds that he is, you know, kind of an annoying guy, and he has nothing to say to him, right? Yeah, Andre can't find any conversation with him, not even on religious topics, because you know, even if the dean is into emotionalism, he doesn't have the same kind of emotions that Andre has about religion. So. You kind of have this analytical evangelical versus a very emotional, um, not well-versed orthodox man. Very true. Exactly. Ironically, as we talked about before, the dean and, sorry, not the dean, um, Joel actually gets along better with Andre. He does. Who would have thought it? But as we've seen in the role plays, Andre and Joel 
have developed a unique kinship between each other. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's funny. I think I just realized that Joel actually gets along with a lot of people, even though he started out as very awkward. Look, not only is he getting along with um, Andre, he's he also gets along with the Dean. Which is strange because it's like a bed diagram. Like, here's the Dean. Here's Andre. They're both separate circles. And then down in the middle is Joel. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I think in some ways Joel kind of has that that kind of um, draw like Katya, Katya in a way. You think so? I mean, they are pretty different, Joel and Katya. I would have never thought you would have made such a comparison. Well, I mean, there's something about them that once you get to know them, I, well, Joel's a little harder to get to know. But once you get to know Joel, you get drawn into him just like Andre was because here's the thing. Normally, Andre likes to engage with all people, but if you make kind of a bad impression on him, he's going to have a grudge and not go forward. But there's something about Joel that draws Andre to know him better. And thus, this is what kind of fomented the kinship between these two men. Mm-hmm. That's true. Very true. But then something yeah. about the Dean doesn't draw anyone to pay attention to him, right? No, I'm, I'm amazed how Joel can do it. He's amazing. So props to Joel for bef- befriending the Dean. That's kind of like the impossible boss master. <laughs> He's the hardest person to befriend out of all my characters, right? Even Kai is, is easier to befriend than the Dean. What do you think? I think so. I think it depends on the setting, though, because Dean is in, sorry, because Kai is in a fantasy setting. I think there are more opportunities for people to, to know him because in a fantasy setting, it's more easy to be vulnerable, especially when, you know, something terrible happens. That's true. That's true. And also, um, Kai has to be social in the fantasy setting because he's a governor, so he has to do all this legal stuff, civil matters, and also like representative stuff as well. Mm-hmm, that's true. So I think in a way he is allowed to be more open in a way due to his setting and the sort of duties he has. But the Dean, on the other hand, I think his duties as the Dean actually make it harder for him to open up. Exactly. Like he's socializing, he's going out there, but he's not open. It's just this mask of academic formality. Exactly. So I think his job, as well as his marriage, make it impossible for him to open up. They do. His marriage and job are almost interchangeable. (laughs) I think that's the problem with him. Everything to him is his job. He is nothing without his job. Even his marriage is a continuation of his job. Oh my gosh, that, that now this is what they mean when they say you're married to your job. Exactly. It's his job is maintaining a facade of respectability. Exactly. And it's like it's just an empty shell. It is. And back to Joel, I wanted to say this one more point that I had to make was that Joel finds his relationship with Malka very enriching because it allows him to show a side of himself that he always had difficulties expressing, especially during adolescence, which was when he started believing that he couldn't let himself be so emotional or show weakness or show too much kindness or people would take advantage of him. 
Very true, very true. This is, I think, what adds another poignant layer of strength, if you will. Exactly, because with Malka, he feels like, you know, his his kindness and, you know, his propensity towards being very obsessive in a way, but not in a crazy way, but like in a nice way, like, you know, just being very obsessive and kind of hovering. Like She actually appreciates these qualities, whereas in the past, he thought he had to suppress them. That's true. And it's, it, <laughs> it's interesting how she appreciates these qualities where I think most people on the surface would not. Exactly. I think it's because she knows where he's coming from. So she does, she lives like some of it, even though it can be annoying at times, I guess. But as they grow older as and as they get to know each other better, I think they, they kind of compromise and also kind of change some of the behaviors as they become more secure. Exactly. That's the whole development. That's the whole growth and the reward of, of having that kind of confluence. Exactly. So Joel actually feels more confident with her now because before, in a way, he was suppressing a part of himself that he hated, even though he didn't actually hate it because he thought it made him weak and he thought that, you know, he was going to end up like his father. Exactly, exactly. And this is what this is what makes it such a rewarding dynamic to see that these two people can change each other by having each other and understanding each other. That, that my, you know, that mezzanine is what makes excellent solid romance, but it's also the good blueprint for a good relationship in case you guys were wondering. Yes, exactly. Cause I noticed that in a lot of fiction, I know that's not the point of a lot of fiction books, but a lot of the romantic relationships I see in them, I don't really like them. And I don't think they're representative of real life. I think, you know, some of them are toxic and maybe the point is, you know, another point is maybe just like pure escapism and, you know, just the feeling of excitement. So it's not supposed to be a representation of reality, but I was just thinking, you know, maybe I would like to make a relationship, you know, in, in my graphic novels and novels where we explore something that's not as dramatic or toxic. Exactly. Exactly. And, and this needs to be done more. I mean, even I myself find myself doing that and, you know, I was pretty satisfied with how I did it in Gerda and Kai in a different context. And you guys will be seeing a lot of things developed with Andre, both in Canon and the RP. So you'll be seeing more of that from yours truly. But yes, we do need to see more of that, I think, um, and give people an idea of what makes a good, solid uh, relationship as well. Mm-hmm, exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, it's very rewarding in general to work on Malka and Joel because they are still developing as we speak. And I am learning more and more about them with each passing day. So it's very exciting. It truly is. It's very rewarding. It's very fascinating. This is one ship I will. I am gladly sailing along. I am. I am riding Pirates of the Caribbean on this ship. Hmm. Me too. Well, yeah. thank you so much, Tete. You know, this has been an amazing episode, and we've learned so much. Definitely. Thank you for having me on, and I can't wait to see more of the developments between these these two fantastic kids. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you. Bye.